Crystal, Greg, thank you very much. Well, welcome. I had a friend this week who said, you're really going to do this. <laughs> His next comment was, into the valley of death, road the 300. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're really going to do this. This is a huge part of our Methodist heritage. So a uh, little bit of background. We are, big picture, exploring basic beliefs as Christians and as Methodists. Uh, the last few weeks, we're emphasizing the things that sort of make us stand out, make us distinctive. And of course, a key piece of that is our United Methodist Social Principles, which were a little bit in the news this week, as some of you know. Now, a little background. 1908, the Methodist Episcopal Church North was the first major denomination, and maybe the first, I'm not sure, there might have been some small group, but the first major Christian body on the planet to actually write down a statement that we take a stand on some contemporary social issues. Uh, each of the branches of the Methodist Church did that. Um, the positions it took were extremely controversial for its day. Matter of fact, they picked the most controversial issue. Now, this is you know, a century later. Our issue is a little bit different, but they had one. Uh, now, there are people who question the wisdom of this. There are some people who told me, I will not come to Kerygma this morning because I do not think that we ought to be talking about this. Okay? And just and probably didn't surprise any of us. Uh, should the church take stands on social issues? And that's controversial for some people. Should we take stances on particular issues, especially the controversial ones, when we know for a fact that you and I don't disagree or don't agree? If you're going to make a statement of what you believe, what I'm going to make a statement, the instant we get two of us together, what do we have? Disagreement. Yeah, disagreement. You know, <laughs> we agree to disagree in the, the words of Wesley. Should we take a stand on abortion or on suicide or on homosexuality or on war, euthanasia, and the list, of course, goes on and on and on? Why can't we, in the words of John Wesley, simply agree to disagree and simply move on, you know? Uh, it would probably save us a little rankering at General Conference. They could probably shorten General Conference by a good half day. Now, if you've watched the news this week, this landed front and center in the news. Okay? General Conference, which meets every four years, um, and is the governing body of the United Methodist Church and produces the discipline. Uh, one section of the discipline, section uh, two, I believe, is our social principles. By the way, the social principles are not under the restrictive rule which means they can be amended and changed, which always leads to some vigorous discussions <laughs> about what we ought to change upon that. So here's the headline. Gay rights protest closes the morning session. Shut general conference down briefly. Now, if it wasn't enough that there was a lot of uh, spirited discussion within the conference, what actually uh, happened was there was an outside group, uh, probably also Methodist, but who were very passionate about an issue, and they began to disrupt the deal. Here's the headline from the official publication of General Conference for Thursday, May 3rd. After attempts to change language regarding the United Methodist Church's stance on homosexuality failed, protester, protesters shut down the general session. After more than an hour of passionate debate and clear disagreement, Two items stating Christians have different opinions about sexuality. Y'all know Ab Alan Hamilton? Yes. Okay. Uh, he was uh, in, in the center of this. The, the proposal was to get rid of the statement that we have and is basically unchanged 
since 1972, which affirms both on the one hand the homosexuals are people of sacred worth, deserving the ministry of the church, but also has the statement incompatible with Christian teaching. Does it sound like it came from a committee? Yeah. <laughs> Put them both in there and let everybody live with it for the next 30 years. Uh, the proposal was, let's get rid of that language and let's just admit we don't agree. And let that be the official policy of the church. We simply do not agree on this. Uh, that was voted down. It was not approved. Uh, they basically tabled it. And my understanding is did not have enough votes to bring it back off the table. Leaving the current language in the Book of Discipline unchanged. My understanding is it's not changed since 1972 when it was written. Every four years, we take a whack at it, uh, both from the left and from the right, who would want to move it one way or the other. This unchanged. The motion failed. And it's essentially the last four or five general conferences has been a, statistically the same. About one-third of the conference wants to change the language, mostly in the direction of being more liberal in the interpretation of that, that issue. Two-thirds of the general conference has voted against it. Now, Lisa, who was there this last week, was, was sharing with me some information. The Methodist Church is now becoming more and more global. So the percentage of United Methodists who are American is smaller. The global church is much more conservative than the American church. So what's happening is, is that the chances of this change happening are going to be decreasing as the years move forward, which may have been some of the energy behind, you know, if we can't change it now, maybe we can never change it without. I'm not sure about that. Now, we're going to get into specifics, but before we do, a little bit of background. It might be helped to just take a step back, and before we plunge into this issue or that issue, kind of look at the, the broad picture, this broader heritage that we're a part of. How did the social principles come to be? And what are they really? And I think you'll be, I, most people, I know I was, are really surprised what the social principles actually are and what they're actually intended to do. Uh, is very different from what many people think. Go back to the beginning. Where are our roots? Our ultimate root, Jesus was a Jew. Our roots are profoundly Jewish. Now, when you want to go back to our approach in this, that's where it's ultimately grounded. What's interesting is, in the Roman world, this was widely known, Judaism stood out as being distinctive from any other known religion. Okay? No religion in the Roman Empire except Judaism would ever consider the possibility of connecting their religion to how they treated other people, okay? It's not that they didn't have ethics and that they didn't have religion. They simply did not connect the two. Now, at the very heart of Judaism is what? The fundamental connection with that, that the way you live your life and the way you treat others is actually a component of your relationship with God. Um, again, this was very, very unusual in the ancient world, but central to Judaism is the belief, on the one hand, that God is, in fact, a God of justice. And the book of Isaiah in several places actually even says that. But more importantly for us, that God is concerned about justice and about whether or not you and I practice justice. That's a huge issue. Go back to Ten Commandments. How many tablets are there? On the first tablet is what? Relationship with God. And the other tablet is? Yeah. And they're connected. And that goes back to the very heart of Judaism. You cannot separate your religion 
your faith, your spirituality, from your concern for your neighbor and the other people within the community. The prophets, over and over and over, so much so that it becomes a central hallmark uh, of the faith. Uh, you, you can quote this. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? You know it. What? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Now, that is not an anomaly. This lies at the very heart of the Jewish faith, the very heart of the prophets. So much so, Amos, uh, more notorious of it, but all the prophets railed against the people, railed against the king. Why? Because they thought they could practice their faith and not be concerned about their neighbor. And prophet of your choice, okay? Prophet du jour, just choose one, and you won't get very far before you hit that. This fundamental concern of the faith. Now, Jesus affirmed this heritage. Jesus stood swirling in this heritage. Uh, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He's asked, how, must, how will we enter the kingdom of heaven? And he gives the famous quotation, love God and love your neighbor. And we really know what he's saying is, both tablets of the commandments, you cannot separate the two. They are intricately connected. That we have a fundamental connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. Uh, nowhere is this clear. I mean, there's lots of scriptures, but this, we're not going to read the entire thing, but Matthew 25 the last judgment scene. The only scene in the entire Bible, the New Testament, where Jesus actually says, by what standard will we be judged on judgment day? And the standard has nothing to do with your religion, how often you go to church, or any of those things. You remember what it is? Basically, insofar as you did it, the least of these, or insofar as you failed to do it. So within that judgment scene, the only one we have, our faith is again, again, Firmly anchored in our relationship with the other. This, I mean, this is not news to any of us. We stand in this tradition. Some traditions more than others. Methodism particularly so. We do this on steroids. And we do it on steroids for a very particular reason. We were born at a particular time under a particular set of conditions. 1700s, England. The Industrial Revolution. Lots going on. Um, unprecedented social upheaval uh, the world had never seen before. So they were dealing with poverty. Now it's one thing to be poor, meaning you're on a farm with subsistence living. It's another thing to be poor and to be uprooted from your farm background, your village background, to be plunged into a city with no social services. That's poverty on steroids. Uh, debtor's prison, huge issue at the time. Child labor continued to be an issue 200 years after this. Distilled alcohol. Um, alcohol has been there, as, according to archaeologists, uh, you know, as far back as we can go. There's evidence that, that that stuff was brewed. But it's different when you distill it and raise the alcoholic content. So it became a huge social issue. The issue of slavery. Uh, we may think about America being the real, the real slave issue, but who owned the ships? Who owned the companies? Who put the money in their pockets? It was the British, okay, and their economy did very, very well with that. Um, these were issues of the day that were not being addressed by the, the church, and so the Methodist and others, we weren't alone, but really became concerned about that. Methodism was born, uh, and then the college setting with Wesley and others, first thing they do early in the morning, they go to the debtor's prison, and they would begin to do various kinds of, of social action. Uh, it's been a hallmark of Methodism ever since. So what was new in the year 1908. What was new 
was not the concern, but that the concern was actually put on paper. And the church actually, for the very first time, took a specific stand on a specific issue. And when you read this, you can be real sure that not everybody thought this was a good idea. And not everybody agreed with it. So uh, I thought you might be interested to see what the, two, well, the first social creed actually said. i be honest, I did not read it till this week. Went back, dug it up just to see it. It's an amazing document. The Methodist Episcopal Church, comma, North, because there were two at this time, South and North, stands for equal rights and complete justice. One of those generic global kind of, you know, has no teeth so far. For all men in all stations of life. For the principles of uh, conciliation and arbitration and industrial decisions. Ah, there we go. It's 1908, okay? This is the relation, you know, birth of labor unions. These kinds of issues are going on. For the protection of the worker from dangerous machinery, occupational diseases, injuries, and mortality. For the abolition of child labor, two centuries after Wesley, it is still an issue, okay? For the regulation of the conditions of uh, the labor of women, as shall safeguard the physical and moral health of the community. That's sort of the ideology of the day, that the women were the ones who preserved the moral. You know, there were some, some fears there. For the suppression of the sweating system. In our language today, this would be what? Sweatshops. Sweat exactly the same. For the gradual and reasonable reduction of the hours of labor, we will eventually arrive at a 40-hour work week. But back in this time, there was no limits, okay, to what people would work. To the lowest practical point with work for all. Side benefit, work fewer hours, you need more laborers, more employment. For the degree of leisure for all, which is the condition of the highest human life, affirming leisure as a value. For a release from employment, one day in seven. This was not a guarantee. This was not, you know, we need to kind of remember this because I think we've kind of gone full circle for many people today, still working seven. A living wage in every industry. For the highest wage in that each industry can afford. It's not all profits. Some of it ought to flow back to the workers, you know, so they can benefit from that. And for the most equitable division of the products of industry that can ultimately be devised. For the recognition of the golden rule and the mind of Christ, that's not a term we see much anymore, as the supreme law of society and the sure remedy for all social ills. 1908, okay? First time this had been done. Now, this was very specific, and you can tell it's targeted to one particular social condition. So everything kind of ro rotates around that. Uh, working conditions. And the church went out and took a stand on that. Now, that tradition of 1908, and the tradition going back to Wesley, going back to Jesus, ultimately going back to Jewish heritage, is pre preserved and affirmed today in our social principles. Uh, it's very easy in the social principles to just jump to a topic. You want to jump to abortion, you want to jump to homosexuality, what does it say? Well, actually the document has two statements prior to that. It has a preface and a preamble. And if you know anything about philosophical argument, it's always the stuff up front that's important, right? Yeah, you concede me the basic standards to work with and you'll roll from there. So it's very, very important. So what I want to do for a few minutes is to look at those two statements and to, and to see what they say. Here's the preface. 
The United Methodist Church, this is the current discipline of 2008-2012. The discipline will be rewritten as of this general conference, will be reissued probably about two or three months. I don't, Lisa, do you know of any, did they make any changes that you know of to social principles? I haven't heard that. There may be, and if, if it does, it's coming out. Nothing big, nothing substantive. The United Methodist Church has a long history of concern for social justice. Duh. But there it's stated up front. Its members have often taken forthright positions on controversial issues involving Christian principles. That's the two poles. Controversial stands on social issues in light of the Christian faith. The interface of those two. Early Methodists expressed their opposition to the slave trade, to smuggling, and the cruel treatment of prisoners. A social creed was adopted by the Methodist Church, Episcopal Church North, in uh, 1908, which we read. Within the next decade, similar statements were adopted by the Methodist Episcopal Church South and the Methodist Protestant Church, the three branches that made us the Methodist Church. The Evangelical United Brethren Church adopted a statement of social principles in 1946. At the time, the two German-speaking groups came together. So every branch of our tradition, this is part of it. In 1972, four years after the uniting in 1968, it's the same year that we adopted our doctrinal standards. You know, you've got two churches coming together, forming a new church. It's time to think through who are we, what do we stand for. We produce, one of the things we produce is our doctrinal standards. Another thing we produce is our social principles. This is who we are as a church. Uh, and that was formally done. Uh, and they adopted that. It was revised and then in 76. And it's been revised by each successive conference since then. Uh, but honestly, almost no change since it was written in 1970. Stands essentially intact. Uh, and now here's where it really gets interesting. The next two or three slides are the most important thing in the social principles. Not the stand we take on a particular issue. This is the stuff that's important. The social principles, while not to be considered church law, they are not church law. Are a prayerful and thoughtful effort on the part of General Conference to speak to the human issues of the contemporary world from a sound biblical and theological foundation as historically demonstrated in United Methodist tradition. We could take a long time and unpack that. But that's the core right there. They are a call, still quoting, to faithfulness. They are intended to be instructive and persuasive in the best of the prophetic spirit, going back to Amos and Micah and all that. The social principles are a call for all members of the United Methodist Church to a prayerful, studied dialogue. I think that's what we had this week at General Conference, of faith and practice. Spirited? Spirited. So, just say, before we move on, preface. What does it actually say? What are the social principles? They're not, okay? They're not church law. Now that's huge because some churches have it. Which is to say they're not normative. Which is to say you don't have to agree with them. Okay? You can be a United Methodist and say I disagree with that. Uh, you don't have to accept them. If it said it's church law, you'd be saying you have to accept it, at least in theory. You don't have to agree with them. That's not their purpose. Just guessing, what's their purpose? Start a discussion. Start a dialogue. Make you think. In addition, 
They do not stand under the restrictive rule, which means they can be changed and amended, which means gives you a lot of energy if you disagree to get in there and try to work them. On the other hand, they are the official position of the United Methodist Church and the only official position of the United Methodist Church for those four years. Um, now, it may change at the next general conference, but for that four-year period, if you want to ask, what is the official position of the United Methodist Church on this topic? You simply flip to the Book of Discipline, look it up, and say, that's it. Now, we have another book called the Book of Resolutions, uh, which even fewer people know about that make more statements on that. You could go there, too, but this is it. What it means when you put these two together. They're not law. <laughs> they're not normative. But they are our official position. The discipline says itself. It's a call to faithfulness. It is a reminder we may not elect to ignore the issues. The ostrich scenario simply will not work. Part of our Methodist heritage is we don't ignore these issues. We may regret that we ever brought them up, but we don't ignore the issues. You know, it's an invitation, as 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 the as it says to you know critically reflect on these in light of our faith, in light of our heritage. And here's important. Um, we get that from simply from the preface. The preamble then takes it further and adds a whole other dimension to this that's critical. We, the people called United Methodists, affirm our faith in God, our Creator and Father, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the Holy Spirit, God and God. Trinitarian language is real broad starting out. We acknowledge our complete dependence upon God in birth and life and death and life eternal. You know, where are they going with this? Securing God's love, we affirm the goodness of life and confess our many sins against God's will for us as we find it in Jesus Christ. We have not always been faithful stewards of all that we've been committed to us by God the Creator. We have been reluctant followers of It's a confession. It's a confession of sin. Then on social issues, we have sinned, okay? It's a confession. Uh, in his mission to bring all persons into the community of love. Though call th uh, through call by the Holy Spirit to become new creatures in Christ, we have resisted the further call to become the people of God in our dealings with each other and the earth in which we live. There's the modern ecological theme. We pledge, here, here, here are the hammer drops. You know, that's all prolegomena. That's all the stuff up front. Here it comes. We pledge to continue to be in respectful conversation with those with whom we differ, to explore the sources of our differences, to honor the sacred worth of all persons, even the person that's really ticking you off at the moment with what they're saying, as we continue to seek the mind of Christ and to do the will of God in all things. English translation, I could be wrong in my view. And if I can have a dialogue with the other who substantially disagrees with me, that together we might actually come closer to the mind of Christ than this. I could be right. I could be wrong. There's a certain humility there. Grateful for God's forgiving love in which we live and by which we are judged, affirming our belief in the inestimable worth of each individual, even the person you disagree with, we renew our commitment to become faithful witnesses to the gospel, not alone to the ends of earth, but also to the depths of our common life and work. So, what does the preamble do? Well, it grounds the social principles in our call to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ 
and faithful witnesses to the gospel. It grounds it in the via media and in what Wesley would call the Catholic spirit. Now, for about three or four minutes, bear with me, because we weren't all here. I want to, for just a minute, remind us what this Catholic spirit business is. We covered it several weeks ago. Just remind ourselves. Because the social principles stand in this tradition firmly. And the language of it clearly reflects that. Remember Wesley's sermon on the Catholic spirit, as he said. Every wise person, therefore, will allow others the same liberty of thinking, which they desire should be allowed to them. And will no more insist on that person embracing your opinions than you would insist that, they, that you would have to embrace their opinions. He bears with those who differ with him. That's a good thing to remember. And only ask him with whom he desires to unite in love that single question, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? There's that famous quotation from Wesley's journal. This is in Glasgow, Scotland, where he, this is near the end of his life as he's reflecting on what, who the Methodist people are, and he just simply makes an observation. There is no other religious society under heaven which requires nothing of, of people in order to assure their admission other than the desire to save their souls. The Methodists alone do not insist on holding this or that opinion. They think and let think. I do not know of any other religious society, ancient or modern, by the way, he was a good student of history, whereby such liberty of conscience is allowed. Here is our glorying and the glorying particular to us. And because of that, you get from his writings all these very famous quotes uh, that you're very familiar with, in essentials unity, non-essentials liberty, all things charity, as the opinions that do not strike at the heart of Christianity, we think and let think, we agree to disagree, probably the most famous of them all. Not that your mind is with my mind, but if your heart be with my heart, then give me your hand. Oh, no, 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 okay. This is background, not just the doctrine. This is background to social principles. This even shows up in a statement of the Book of Discipline we've looked at before, and which we put out there and just say, as official teaching of our church, we recognize the right of Christians to disagree on matters such as forms of worship, you can go to Cornerstone, or you can go to Sanctuary, or you can, if you want the one true holy apostolic faith, go to Cox with Jeff. Uh, <laughs> you know. Or if you don't care, you just come here. Okay, whatever. We agree. There's, there's no one standard with that. Or modes of baptism. You can be dunked. You can be sprinkled. You can be poured. And technically, you can be uh, the Quaker baptism. You know what the Quaker baptism is? You got ex-Quakers? Holy Spirit. No water, okay? Water is simply an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. They don't require water. We would affirm all those. And, by the way, the last one there, or theological exp explorations on doctrine or on social issues. We are committed to the principles of religious toleration and theological diversity. Let me say it again. We are committed to the principles of religious toleration and theological diversity. That alone ticks so many people off. We are equally committed to the marrow of Christian truth, and yes, there is a rub there, okay? Sparks fly between those two. The church encourages serious reflection across the spectrum. We respect the, the it hammers it again and again and again, uh, following up on Wesley. Um, this spirit, what Wesley called the Catholic spirit, lives and breathes within the social principles. Uh, it is in that phrase where every believer is invited to a prayerful, studied dialogue of faith and practice. 
here it is, without necessarily mandating what the answer will be. You're invited to think without saying to you, you have to arrive at solution X or solution Y or solution Z. There are places you can go and they'll give you the solution. We're not one of them. You're encouraged to think here. Now, the social principles have expanded, if you, if you looked at them, from that little modest beginning. Everything grows over time, right? Uh, they have this taken on, I can't think of an issue they don't tackle these days. Here's a list. Don't worry, we will not even attempt to cover all this. Divides into sections, natural world. We take positions on water, air, soil, minerals, plants, energy resources, animal life, climate stewardship, space, science and technology, which would be real critical in the fall when we take our series of science and faith. Food safety. It's been in the news a lot lately. Nurturing community. Oh, here's sparks start to fly a little bit. Family, marriage, divorce. We have a position on divorce. You know what it is? You will soon. <laughs> Single persons, women and men. Human sexuality. 57 subcategories under that one, you know. Uh, family violence, abuse, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, abortion. Does anybody know what our position on abortion is? You will. <laughs> Ministry of those who have been experienced with abortion, adoption. Faithful care for dying persons. We actually have a position on suicide. And it's not the one you're going to hear from many pulpits in our community, okay? Um, the idea that suicide is somehow an unforgivable sin has no grounds in Scripture and has no connection with our faith at all. Social community. Rights of da 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 Every conceivable group you can name. Uh, equal rights regardless of sexual orientation. Sparks there. Alcohol and other drugs. What have we just called alcohol? Do you know the position of Methodist Church in alcohol? Don't do it. Okay. Tobacco, miracle experimentation, genetic uh, technology, uh, rural life, agriculture, uh, organ donations, transplantation, economics. Church should never get involved in economics. Well, we are, okay? Property, collective bargain, 1908, 1908, leisure, consumption, poverty, foreign workers, gambling, lotto. Anybody know the position of the Methodist Church on gambling? It is a menace to society incompatible with Christian teaching. Just saying, just saying. You, know. <laughs> you might want to get elected to general conference, go change that one. Politics. Another thing people say we should mix with, and there it goes. Many aspects of that. Death penalty. Criminal and restorative justice. Military service. And, by the way, conscientious objection. Both of them are in there. World community. General Conference has been very busy since 1908, okay? Uh, war and peace, justice and law, on and on and on. What are we going to do? Not cover everything on that list, okay? Uh, I don't want to, you don't want to, we don't want to. Okay. We want to pick, though, a few issues. Which ones? Well, I thought the ones that are the most controversial or the ones you might just find shocking that that's even in there, you know. Uh, so what are we going to do? Well, next week, let's just come out of the gate and do it, okay? <laughs> uh, abortion, homosexuality, sexual orientation, sex outside of marriage, okay? Uh, you won't want to miss that one, I don't think. <laughs> May 20th. Alcohol, tobacco, gambling, war, military service, conscientious objection. 
Okay, May 27th, death with dignity, suicide, death penalty, genetic testing, and medical tech. Uh, so next week, end of the valley of death, road to 300, okay? <laughs> so, uh, and again, if you're gone, understand this will be on the internet. So, here's a good song to sing in light of where we are. He leadeth me, okay? <laughs> me, O oh blessed thought, O oh words with heavenly comfort.